0: Good morning, good to see you all this morning on this icy morning, and glad you made it here safely. I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Colossians chapter 2 as we continue in our series, Christ Sufficient, Christ Supreme, and we work through verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And uh, this morning, the title of the message is, Let No One Deceive You, Let No One Deceive You. The supreme goal uh, that Paul sets before the Colossians. Let no one deceive you. Let's stand as we read God's word together. And we're going to read beginning in verse 1. And Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, of your faith in christ let's pray father thank you for your holy and inspired word and we pray now that it will be on display through the power of the holy spirit that you will pierce our hearts that you will search our hearts that you will conform our hearts to the image of your dear your dear son and that as the holy spirit does that work that we will go forth from here and that we will be firm in our faith, that our lives will be ordered by the gospel, and that we will bring all glory to the one who died and the one who was raised and who is exalted at your right hand. For he is worthy of all power and all glory and all honor for all the ages to come. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Over the last few years... There's been a term that we have heard come up from time to time. It's a term called it, that, that is called deconstruction. So maybe you've heard of deconstruction stories. Well, over the last few years, deconstruction stories have trended once again. Nothing new. And if you wonder, well, what is deconstruction? Deconstruction is simply, as one person put explains, it is the process where evangelical Christians undo their faith and then abandon their faith virtually altogether. Often these folks are referred to as ex evangelicals It's kind of the the cool term that they have coined in the larger quote-unquote Christian culture. And if you're familiar with Rhett and Link, Good Mythical Morning, uh, they are famous YouTubers and internet entertainers. Um, They released a podcast a a couple of years ago, actually, detailing their own journey of deconstruction, of rejecting the Christian faith that they had been brought up with. Though interesting, as I listened to it, I, I found myself saddened as they got to the end of one of the podcasts and they described their their journey as, as, as coming to the conclusion where they were jumping off of the ship of Christianity and they were simply jumping into the ocean of doubt and disbelief. And what was really tragic about it is how they described them bringing their families right along with them into this abyss of unbelief, and the reality is is that deconstruction might it also has other contours. There's another person you might be familiar with, Josh Harris. He wrote a book called "I I Kiss Dating Goodbye" in the 1990s, and he became relatively prominent in the 2000s among the, among. In various conferences and stuff and he his story was is also very intriguing and where this leads for him in terms of Abandoning his faith and as I listened to his story It left me scratching my head saddened by his rejection of the truth of scripture and the gospel Although as I listened, I was also hopeful that perhaps he may one day return to Christ And I share these two examples just to illustrate that it is tragic when anyone is deceived by their own thinking or the reasoning of the world and then led astray from the truth, the truth of Christ. And that serves us as kind of examples of the dangers of apostasy and deconstruction because here in the passage that we have just read, Paul's supreme concern for the church here and elsewhere is just that, that they will let someone deceive them and then they will abandon the faith. And so as Paul transitions, Here in chapter 2, to the heart of the letter to the Colossian church, he basically just shares his heart. And in sharing his heart, he just says uh, these words of encouragement. And when he comes to verse uh, 4, he says, listen, I I say these things because I don't want anyone to deceive you. I don't want you to be deluded. And that is echoed in other places throughout the New Testament. Consider 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, where Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So we hear these stories of deconstruction, and one thing that it should stir in us is, like Paul, we should be concerned for the body of Christ, for the people of God, that we do not let anyone delude us or deceive us away from Christ. But I think the other thing we have to establish in the very beginning here is Paul's care for the church. We see that he, as a minister of the gospel, he truly cares for this the, these people. He truly cares for the church, for the people of God. His labor is motivated by love and care for the ones that Christ has died for. Nothing is more important than all of you remaining firm in your faith. I mean, there, there's nothing more important, and, and and there's nothing more important than we do our diligence to pass along this gospel to the next generation. And I say that with an awareness of the many false gospels today that are in circulation. The fine sounding messages that are out there. That are telling us that there's more than Christ, that there's something else other than Christ, that there is another way to find fulfillment, another way to find salvation, another way to gain righteousness. In fact, I think we should all be aware of the works-based superstitions of our own sinful natures. We are all prone to think that by our goodness and our merit and our efforts and our works that we can somehow earn favor with God. Let nothing delude us. Let not even my own heart, O Lord, delude me from the truth of the gospel. We are constantly being beckoned away from the sufficiency of Christ that we just sang about. In fact... Uh, I'm so concerned about this. I I mean, I'm not just saying like that today, but I'm just saying in general, I'm so concerned for this. I'm concerned for those that, for for our tendency to obsess about what we have to do for Christ over what He has done for Christ, uh, what He has done for us. Rather than growing in deeper love for Jesus because of what He has done. And so like Paul, I do not want any of us seeking from ourselves or from others or from anything else redemption and righteousness. I want us to seek it only from him. And so therefore the key truth here that we want to walk away with as we work through this passage is this. Let no one delude you, beloved, with offers of fulfillment outside of Christ and the gospel. Let no one delude you with offers of fulfillment outside of Christ and the gospel. Be resolved that when you leave here today, that by God's grace, you will not be deluded and deceived, but you will be focused on Christ and the truth of Scripture. But if we're not going to be deluded, if we are going to be firm in our faith and committed to Christ, then Paul offers three things here that we, that we are going to need In order to not be deluded we are going to need our hearts encouraged our knowledge enhanced and our faith established Those are the three things that we're going to those are the three things that paul lays down to these colossian believers so that they will not be deluded Deceived Let's walk through each of those first of all We need our hearts encouraged now, notice how Paul starts this, how, how we, what Paul says in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So Paul says that he has struggled that they would be encouraged Basically, when he says, I have struggled for you and for the, for Laodicea, he, that word struggle is mentioned in verse, uh, chapter one, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Why is Paul struggling? Because he, he is struggling for their growth, for the maturity that Christ will be formed in them. And so he continues that same thought. And the word struggle is an athletic word used to describe athletes who agonize and strain. A wrestler straining to win a match. A, a, a runner straining to win the race and to cross the finish line. When I was a kid, for example, uh, playing sports, my dad would admonish me and he'd say, you know, when you get out there, just give it all you got. I'm sure many of you have said that to your kids. Just give it everything that you have. Paul gives his all. That's what he says. I give everything. I strive. I toil by the power of the Spirit working in me to promote the truth of Christ and to protect the church. Not just here in Colossae. In fact, what Paul says is, is that he, 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 he prays he, that that he, he strives and he struggles, not just for them, but for the church in Laodicea. He, he strives for churches everywhere who have not even seen him face to face. He is completely invested in the church to preserve their well-being and their commitment to the gospel. But here's a question we would ask. How does he struggle? What does he mean? When he says, I struggle, like in what way does Paul struggle? Almost all commentators conclude that he means prayer. He struggles in prayer. That they will be strengthened by his gospel labor. However, his struggle here is prayer. That's what he's doing. He's saying, I struggle in prayer. And for many of us, we would say, yeah, prayer is a struggle. However, our goal should be to struggle in prayer, intentional prayer for one another. How do we know this? Look at Colossians 4 verse 12. You can just jump over there. Paul says in in, in the last chapter, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, in his prayers that you may stand mature or complete fully assured in all of the will of God think about that what paul is saying is is that he agonizes in prayer for those he knows and loves for the people in the churches even people he has never seen even people that are in other places And he prays that their hearts will be encouraged. Another word for encouraged is strengthened. He prays that the church, that the people will be strengthened. And I ask myself, how many times do I agonize in prayer for the people of God to be strengthened? How often do we agonize and strive in prayer to pray for each other? What an admonishment that is to us. Do we labor in prayer for one another? Why do we need to? Because we need strength. And Paul is referring here to divine strength. Divine strength is needed for churches to be faithful to the truth, for believers to not fall away. We should strive in prayer for strength that, that does not happen. Think about the challenges that, that, that people face as they go to college, as they face secularism as they face the philosophies and the ideas of the world that are prominent today. I mean, we need a wisdom that is not our own. We need a strength that comes not from our flesh, not from our intellect, but from God himself and the truth of his word and the Christ who is his son. Pray for strength. For believers to not fall away. For pastors and ministers who preach and shepherd. For, for the perishing and the lost to be saved by God's grace. Divine strength for the weak to have assurance. And for the gospel to be spread through the church into all the nations. That's why Paul strives in prayer. Paul's gospel labor is prayer and intercession for the people of God? Do we labor in prayer for one another? And specifically, as we think about the, 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 the truth to let no one deceive us, are we praying for one another that we will remain faithful to the gospel? Now, what Paul does is, is he says, all right, we need our hearts encouraged. What better way to encourage these people than to say, listen, I labor, I, I strive that you'll be strengthened by my gospel labor through my prayers. But he also says, is a word of encouragement here, that, they, that he desires for them to be knitted together in gospel love. So strengthened together by gospel prayer, but knitted together in gospel love. Notice the text. He says, and for all who have not seen me face to face, what does he pray? What does he strive for? That their hearts may be strengthened, encouraged, being knit together in love. In other words, as they are strengthened and they are fortified from the lies of the world, may their hearts be knitted together in love. As Paul prays this, he desires the church to be united in love. One might think of the beautiful quilts that have been auctioned here through the years through the Scarlet Thread Ministry. All those threads, many of you have those quilts, right? I have a Bengals one at home that was given that you all gave to us, and, and I love it, just so you know. But there, there it says all those threads are carefully woven together. And as they're woven together, tightly knitted, pulled in, what happens at the end? They reflect a beautiful pattern. Paul uses this word to show that when we are held together in the unity of love, we reflect the pattern of grace that is in the gospel. And Paul uses this word intentionally. Brothers and sisters, we should be reminded then that we are united in love for one another through the truth of the gospel it is truth that has brought us together and it is truth then as it brings us together we stick together through love for one another that is true unity true unity is this we are together for the gospel in the bonds of love that's true unity we are together for the gospel. We are together for the gospel in the bonds of love. And both truth and love are necessary for us to have true unity. My former pastor, David Pittman, said this. He, he, I, I love this. One of the favorite quotes I, ever, I heard him say, and I wrote it down years ago. Truth without love leads no one. Love without truth leads nowhere. Truth without love leads no one. And love without truth leads nowhere. You have to have both. And therefore, what Paul says is, listen, though his, he wants their hearts to be encouraged by the fact that they're strengthened together, together by his gospel labor, but that they're knitted together in gospel love. Whenever you hear this word love, it's, you, you have to connect it immediately to the person and work of Christ. It is the gospel that brings us together, but it is the love that overflows from that gospel that is the glue that connects us. Let me go one step further. This means that we must make every effort to demonstrate love toward one another even when it may be challenging. We are hard to love. I'm hard to love. You may be shocked that I said that. But the reality is, we are. This is, th- this is hard because we are by nature selfish and sinful. And maybe you think you're just a bundle of greatness and wonder and everyone should love you. But here's the newsflash. You're hard to love. Get to know me long enough. My family could yell amen to all of this. Yes, he's right. We are hard to love. And sometimes, this is why I always say in my home, listen, no whining, no complaining. I don't want to hear how much you feel you're not loved. We do love you. But just remember, there are plenty of times you are really hard to love. And, and, And don't be flattered by John 3, 16 either. The mystery of the gospel is that God would love me. That's the mystery of the Gospel. And sometimes it's difficult as we endeavor to love and demonstrate patience with one another and, 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 offer, and, and sacrifice for one another. But biblical love is to be demonstrated. We are called to show that to each other. And the gospel through what God has done through Christ and giving his son compels us to do that very thing. And so as the truth brings us together and as we demonstrate love to one another, guess what? The spirit knits us together glues us together and so that's how their hearts are encouraged and, and 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 that's how what that's what paul says here that will actually help them from being led astray so here's the, here's the application love for the truth and one another keeps us from being torn apart by air and led astray That is a key part the word of encouragement that comes here is that love for the truth And one another will help keep them from being deceived and taken captive by some other false gospel So that leads us to the question. How are you demonstrating love for the truth? How are you demonstrating love for the truth? And how are you showing love toward others in the body of christ? That leads us to a second observation so not only do we need the our hearts encouraged the second thing we need is our knowledge enhanced now this is one long sentence so notice what the apostle says he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and that knitting together in love will then read will, will go here to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding And knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now that's a long that's a long sentence. So let's stop for just a second. Paul wants us to reach the peak of knowing Christ. Isn't that what he says? That as we're knitted together in love, that we will one day, re- that we will continue to strive toward the peak of knowing Christ, to climb higher and higher in our knowledge of who he is and what he has done. And here's what you have to get. You've got to make this connection. As we experience and extend love to one another in the church, we will grow in our knowledge of Christ. Did you get that? As we experience and extend love to one another and even take that love outside of these four walls, we will actually grow more deeply in our understanding of the gospel. As an example, when you think about, like, when when I go back to when we came here, the outpouring of love, your outpouring collectively of love and and receiving us as me as the pastor and our family— you know what that demonstrated to me? It didn't just demonstrate to me, oh, wow, you're kind, you're gracious, you're, you're, you're friendly, you're loving. You know what it demonstrated? It demonstrated to me that here is a place where the gospel has taken root, where there is an overflow of kindness and grace that is coming from people who've experienced Christ. Christ. Isn't that why Paul says to the husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for you? In other words, as you sacrifice for your wife and as you demonstrate love toward her, you will reflect the very essence of the gospel. And while she may love you, she will love Christ even more in Christian marriage. See how love true biblical love overflowing in our lives will cause us to grow in our knowledge of Christ. And so that leads us to ask then, then what do we discover in Christ as this process works out, as we share this life together as believers? And let me also just add this, that's why you need the church. You can't live your Christian life apart from belonging to the church and to other believers You you can't experience this independent of covenant relationship with one another. That's one of the the joys of being together. So, what do we learn and discover about Christ? Here it is. Here's one way our knowledge is enhanced. In Christ, we have full assurance and understanding. We will have full assurance and understanding in Christ. We will reach full assurance of understanding. Paul says. I think what perplexes me most about deconstruction in these individuals is that they seemingly completely miss the gospel. Some of their experiences with the church or other Christians, I relate to. And I'd even share their frustrations. I remember when I had my crisis of faith when I was in college and went through a a whole stretch of of questioning and wondering about my about my faith and and about the truthfulness of the of 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 scripture one thing i could not undo is the reality of christ i mean i could complain i could grumble i could just you know i could look at christians and call other christians around me names and fail to look at even myself but the one thing i just couldn't do is i couldn't undo the reality of christ the fact that he existed in history That he died on a real cross. That he bodily resurrected from the grave. And that he is called Savior and Lord. I just could not deconstruct that. I just couldn't undo that. And the more I examined the evidence about him, my faith was preserved by the power of the Spirit. As I heard the word preached week in and week out. That said, Paul's point here is clear. Christ provides rich assurance. There is no other religion or system that will offer full and total assurance of salvation or redemption. Think about this. I just want you to think about the riches of assurance. What what are the riches of assurance? Well, we are forgiven of our sin. We are reconciled to God. Verse 14 of chapter 1 we are qualified, we are delivered, we are redeemed, we have peace with God. We are no longer under condemnation. I mean, mean, can we get more assurance? All of that assurance comes from Christ. All of it. And name one religion, name one other system that can offer that. There's nothing out there. And so if you still haven't found what you're looking for, then know this. It will only be found in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. In Christ is full assurance, not in anything else. In Christ is full and total understanding of the way of salvation. But notice that Paul elaborates. He says, in Christ, he says, is the mystery of salvation. The knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, in Christ is the mystery of salvation made known. In in other words, the mystery of salvation, as we've said in in weeks past, is the redemption of both Jew and Gentile to form one man. The mystery is, is that Jesus is the Savior for all people. But look how Paul words it. God's mystery. The knowledge of God's mystery. Do you know why Paul says it that way? Because he doesn't want the Colossian people to think that this is Paul's mystery. That this is Paul's plan. That this is Paul's discovery. That this is man's discovery. No, it's God's mystery. God's mystery is Christ. God's plan is Christ. God's revelation is Christ. Christ is everything in terms of knowledge and understanding of salvation. It's not Paul's. It's not man's. It's not mine. It's not the church's. It is God's mystery. It is God's plan of redemption that is unfolding. And the implication is clear. There is no new truth to be discovered. For any of these false teachers out here that are coming around, creeping around the, the, the perimeters of these, of, the, of this church and influencing these people, he wants them to know, listen, there is no new truth to be discovered. Nobody's getting new revelation. Nobody's getting get, receiving an addition to what God has done and revealed in Christ. There is no truth, new truth to be discovered. There's not some secret to be revealed from some, some fool on social media inviting you to, to their new insight that no one else in the universe knows. I mean, I shut that off the minute they tell me that. They got insight that somehow, that all the rest of the entire world is oblivious to. Ignore. And there's so many messages like that, inviting you to their insight, their discovery. Listen, church, God's will, God's truth, God's grace, God's ways are all revealed in Christ to the unfolding pages of God's divinely breathed word and there's no new word that God must speak because he has spoken in these last days through his beloved son who is the image of the invisible God and the radiance of his glory there's nothing more to be said so when when people come at me and say God gave them a word I just simply say no God gave us his word and his final word is in Christ. And we must resist all of that that's out there. No new word from God. All that is necessary for our knowledge and salvation is in Jesus. But, the, but notice then the last phrase of, the, of that sentence. God's mystery, which is Christ. I mean, Paul's already like given us a glorious vision of Christ. And he says, in whom? In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And here's what's great. They're hidden in him and you get to discover them. The more you get to know him through his word and through the love and life of the church, you will learn more and more these hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge So the last thing is, is that Christ is the treasury of God's wisdom. Paul says this because he wants us to have settled conviction on the deity of Christ. Christ is the gem of all humanity because he is the second person of the Godhead. Paul says he is the, in him are the treasures of wisdom. He is the storehouse of divine glory. He wants the Colossian Christians to believe rightly about Jesus because what we believe about him will determine everything in our life now and in the eternity before us. And, and He has already provided that great big vision of Christ in Colossians one, verse fifteen to twenty. The sovereign Creator and sustainer of the universe, Christ, the saving Redeemer who rescues and reconciles fallen sinners. The treasury of God's wisdom is in Christ, and it is demonstrates it demonstrates that He is supreme and sufficient as our Savior and our Lord. I love what one. One minister said years ago, all which we can know concerning God and man, concerning sin and righteousness and duty, concerning another life is in Christ, who is the home and deep mine where truth is stored. The central fact of the universe and the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth is Christ, the incarnate word, the lamb slain, the ascended king. And therefore, we are reminded that because Christ is sufficient, that there's no need for something else. No need, as John MacArthur writes, no need for some writings from an occult or another philosophy or for a psychology to supplement the Bible. Jesus Christ is the source of all spiritual knowledge. And until you understand that then you will not understand anything else about the Christian life. So here's the truth applied. All assurance, knowledge, and wisdom are found in Christ alone. And so that's why we need our knowledge enhanced. I mean, we could really just sum it up this way. Paul's answer to for us to not be deluded is this, Christ. Preach Christ. And that will protect us from being deceived and deluded. So, here's what we see. All assurance, knowledge, and wisdom are found in Christ alone. Are you growing in your knowledge? Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Or are you pursuing other things in other places other than him? Want peace? Then you get it from Christ. You want contentment? You get it to Christ. If you want to fight sin, it comes through Christ. And so, we not only do we need our hearts encouraged, we need our knowledge enhanced. But lastly, we need our faith established. So, look at verse 4. So, he says all of this, encouraging us, talking about his prayers, uh, his prayers that were knitted together in love, that were strengthened, that we will. Our knowledge will be enhanced by a knowledge of Christ and his fullness. And then in verse 4 he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you. I've said all of this so that you will not be deceived by plausible arguments. And so notice there how he addresses our need for our faith to be established. He tells us of the peril of godless deception. I say this in order that no one deludes you with plausible arguments. Paul states the purpose. There is a real peril of godless deception. Let me say it this way. The real peril that Paul's addressing is Christless religion. It is Christless religion and systems. Messages that subtly lead us away from total redemption in Christ. And when he says plausible arguments, he means it'll sound good. It'll sound right. It'll be presented in a, in a fashionable way. But these are messages that lead us away from total salvation in Christ. And, 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 and they will even make sense to a certain degree. But here's what the problem is. They lack the central truths of the gospel. Those messages that make you think that God exists for you and that Christ came for you to discover your dreams, right? Your potential, your true self. Paul says those things are designed to delude you away from the gospel. And so folks, the real danger in this room today is for us to be deluded by those things, for us to think that we are good or to think that we do not need to repent of our sin, I mean, the real danger, again, is thinking that morality or good citizenship or religious observances or any host of moralistic behavior makes you a Christian. Those things will delude you. If you're here today and you think you're a Christian because you bowed your knee and said a sinner's prayer and had no understanding of the gospel, no understanding of your sinfulness before a holy God, and you think because you repeated words that that makes you a Christian, you've been deluded. Only repentance of sin and faith in Christ with a clear understanding of the gospel. And so there is a real peril that Paul addresses here. I mean, we hear it as well that God is just waiting for you to do the right thing and then he'll pour his favor out on you. You ever heard that one? God wants to pour his favor out. He wants to bless you. But he's waiting for you to do this, this, and this. That is a false gospel. But the problem with all of it is that it is Christless and it is detached from the truth of who Christ is and what he has done. Paul does not want us to be deluded by any of that, he wants us to have our faith established. So, as he showed, to establish our faith, He gives us the peril of godless deception, but he then shows us the plan of gospel defense. And this is where he commends the church here. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So here's here's a little bit more encouragement here, right? He sees that their faith is established. Despite the threat, Paul sees clear evidence of God's grace in this church. He says, I rejoice to see, I praise God for two things that are displayed in you all. Even though I have never seen you, the report that I have been given, the understanding of how the gospel's taken root, he says, listen, I praise God and rejoice for your good order. And the firmness of your faith in Christ. Now, those two things are placed together. They're actually military terms. Imagine a line of men, an army. In my mind, I go to the army of elves, dwarves, and men in the Lord of the Rings, prepared to storm the Black Gate. But you get it? A long line of warriors in line. Unified, together. There is no broken rank. It is straight across. And they are all standing perfectly together. That is the, that's what he means by good order, a long line of soldiers in line, unified in the gospel, bound together in brotherly love, marching to the drumbeat of the truth, lives transformed and reordered by the Holy Spirit. He says church, the Colossian church, that's you. You've been ordered by the gospel. That's the kind of church we want to be. A church of good order, lining up behind our commander, Jesus Christ, and ready to battle delusion and all deception and advance the gospel. He says, listen, the plan is this, good order and a firmness of faith. Firmness of faith. That second part of this, good order and firmness of faith, this has the idea of standing together, solidity, a solid wall of soldiers on the front line that's what he's describing the church. i praise god for your firmness you're standing on the foundation of the gospel of christ but you're standing together see the power of being together some some folks just went to the, the conference down in florida the founders that's one of the joys of of going to places like that because you y- you're reminded that even beyond the scope of our gatherings that that we are united with believers everywhere in the truth of the gospel. And that's what he says. Listen, this idea of standing I counted a joy to stand alongside of you as your pastor, knitted together in love, walking together in truth, established in the faith And that's what Paul says to them. I commend that. I recognize that. That is the plan. The plan is this, that we are of good order, that our lives are ordered by the gospel, and that we stand firm in our faith in Christ. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to remain firm in the faith. We're not to deconstruct the faith. We're to strengthen the, fort- the we're to fortify the faith. We are to strengthen the walls. We're to ensure the foundation of our faith in Christ. It reminds me of Spurgeon who wrote a reprint he wrote a preface to the reprint of the 1689 Confession of Faith. And Spurgeon, he reprinted the Confession of Faith for his church in England. And he reprinted it and he distributed it to his congregation because he wanted it to be a tool in their arsenal that as they read and studied the Confession of Faith, that they would see the the, the truth of Scripture as it is explained in that Confession of Faith and that they would be firm And here's what Spurgeon wrote, Be not ashamed of your faith. Remember, it is the ancient gospel of martyrs, confessors, reformers, and saints. Above all, it is the truth of God, against which the gates of hell cannot prevail. Let your lives adorn your faith. Let your example adorn your creed. Above all, live in Christ Jesus and walk in Him, giving credence to no teaching but that which is manifestly approved of Him and owned by the Holy Spirit. Cleave fast to the Word of God, which is here mapped out for you. I think Spurgeon captured it right. That's what it means to stand firm in the faith. And so that's the truth applied. Stand firm in the truth, church, and do not fall to the attacks of deceit or doubt. How has the gospel ordered your life? How has the gospel rearranged your world? How has the gospel ordered the way you live? And how are you today standing firm with your church in the faith and truth of the word of God? So friends, as we think about all that has been said, let no one delude you. Let nothing deceive you. If you are not saved today, I invite you to come to Christ today for salvation if you today walked in here battling doubts and you've been tempted to deconstruct your faith, there is no truth outside of Christ. No truth outside of Christ. And believer, Christian, church family, if we are going to remain true and remain faithful, then together in Christ we stand as a church. Let our hearts be encouraged, filled with love as we pray for one another. Let our knowledge be enhanced with Christ this year. Let that be our goal. And let us be established in our faith, united in the gospel. Let us pray to that end. Let us labor to that end so that we can stand with Charles Wesley and sing. Thou, O Christ, art all I want, more than all in thee I find. Raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick and lead the blind. Just and holy is thy name. I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin I am. But thou art full of truth and grace. Let no one deceive you. Church, let's stand and let us pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Let it be said of us that we let no one deceive us. And for us to be prepared to do that may our hearts be encouraged as we are strengthened through prayer for one another as our hearts are knitted together in love may that love be on display in our lives and father i pray that that our knowledge will be enhanced as we go through this year that we will know more of Christ and that the more we know of him through the preaching and teaching of your word that we will resist the lies that are out there. And I pray as well that we will be established in our faith, that we will stand firm, that we will stand together in the truth of the gospel. And I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work in our hearts through the truth that we have heard. Whatever that might be, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.